Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gags Special here for Pride Month. My name is Paul Rowley, and here in studio with me we have John Groweiler, <laughs> Mary Ellen Novak. <laughs> Hi, John. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mary Ellen. Hi, Paul. <laughs> How's it all going? Um, for listeners who have no idea who we are, we are part of the Radio Gag team. That's the Radio Gag Gays Against Guns show, and we are here on WBAI every Tuesday evening at 6.30. Here today for an hour and a half long special, which we are tentatively calling Queer Activism Then and Now. Because that's how us three loons all met. <laughs> True. <laughs> was as queer activists. Um, for those of you who don't know, Gays Against Guns has been around for about three years and we formed in response to the Pulse Massacre, um, which uh, June 12th will mark three years since that mm-hmm. uh, happened. And, um, and June 17th was our first meeting at the center. Right. You were yeah. there at that first meeting. I was actually. Nice. Yes. I, yeah. I'd, um, I was deeply affected by Pulse. I remember being at a nightclub in Brooklyn. I think Analog or something um, is was the club, if it's still around. Um, and as I was leaving, I um, my phone started to, you know, messages were coming through about what had happened in Orlando. Uh, and then subsequent to that, I'd seen several posts uh, by a friend of mine, Kevin Herzog, and other people were posting about queer complacency being over, and that we needed to do something and to join a meeting, come to a meeting at the center on the 17th of June. And so then I went to that meeting because I felt it was important to be there. Um, and uh, and recognizing there were lots of people in the room, uh, former active members, um, as well as like new people I had met, I had not known um, with Magic Quality, as well as other movements. Um, so yeah, so it was a, it was a pulse um, galvanized the uh, queer activist community. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's how we all met. And mm-hmm. I think we're going to keep, um, we'll come back to, to Gays Against Guns stuff throughout the show. Um, and we're really talking, we're going to start, I guess, talking about our own c- kind of personal journeys as activists and how, how that started. Yeah. And then we're going to have many callers during this session. We're going to hear from many of our members, um, former ACT UP members. We're going to hear from Kathy Marino Thomas, who was the national board president of the marriage equality uh movement for 17 years get out Lord wow mercy. god <laughs> and uh we're going to hear from kevin herzog who you mentioned is one of the co-founders mm-hmm. get out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kevin herzog and mary ellen is going to heckle us for 90 minutes live on air i will <laughs> and ken kidd possibly ken oh, is yes. going to call yes. in as well mm-hmm. yes so we'll have a mm-hmm. we'll have a good range of people um talking about various paths to activism and you know i think using gag as a kind of a a touchstone for for us because that's really the work that we're most involved in right yeah. now. We'll also have J.W. Walker coming in later from Recli- Reclaim Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be hearing about the Queer Liberation March, which is t- happening this year in 
parallel, Same. some might say in opposition to the Heritage of Pride march. Mm -hmm. So lots going on to the next 90 minutes or so here on Radio Gallic. Looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we could start talking about how we kind of came to be activists, in mm, a sense, yeah, queer yeah. activists. Mm -hmm. um, There's everyday activists. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, I know because, you know, being a member of Gays Against Guns happened to me because, mm. I, similarly to you, John, I was, I was in a nightclub mm -hmm. DJing the night that the Pulse Massacre happened. And I actually got the subway home and drag that night, mm. which um, it was, you know, a hot summer night. And I was kind of I'd, I'd hung out there late chatting with my friend River and um, River was like, oh, let's just get the subway home. I was like, OK, fine. Yeah. And I was in like some hideous Liz Claiborne and jumpsuit. And, You're wearing it now. Yeah, no, it's not a product endorsement. That thing was hideous. <laughs> And a blonde wig and a face of makeup. And I'm walking up the street to my house in Brooklyn at like six in the morning and it's sunny. And I'm like thinking, wow, how amazing is this? You know, mm. you know, just as, as a young queer kid in Ireland in the 80s, things were <laughs> radically different to all of that. Yeah. And uh, just going to bed thinking how wonderful it was that it was now that I felt safe getting public transport in my own adopted right. city. And just quickly, how many years had you been in this city at that time? I moved to New York in 2000, so I've uh -huh. been here for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I left Ireland pretty much as soon as I could. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, we could talk later about, about you know, I'd like to talk about in terms of marriage equality and all, like the country has turned around so much. But when I was a kid growing up in Ireland, you know, it was life imprisonment, hard labor mm -hmm. was the punishment yep. for homosexuality. Yeah. And that was there till 1993. The same laws that sent Oscar Wilde to mm -hmm. jail. Um, but um, so anyway, I'm getting the subway home and thinking how wonderful this is. And then, then waking up the next morning to the to the news about Pulse it was just absolutely devastating. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, I, I, I wasn't there at the, the initial gag meetings, but I did show up at the first Pride March. I remember I think I messaged with you, John, yeah. on Facebook. Mm -hmm. and I was like, have you queens even thought about like videography? And it was like, no. no. <laughs> I was like, OK, <laughs> there's my Sunday. Right. So I showed up and amazingly, like three years later, you know, that footage is now making its way into a feature length documentary that yeah. we're working on about queer activism and gays against guns and, mm -hmm. you know, all the crazy nonsense that we're fighting in this yep. country right now. Yeah. Um, what about you, Mary Ellen? I, oh, you've, hello. Got to, you've got to tell that story <laughs> about the first time we all met at that gays against guns meeting. Well, uh I had never done any real activism work. I'd never done anything that I would consider to be activism related. Uh, and so right after the election, the election, uh. and uh, so I think the rest of the city, maybe the country, if it's quite a stretch, we all sobbed. <laughs> and then the day after that, yeah, I decided mm -hmm. to do something political or activist related every single day. So I was going to these meetings to groups that were really radicalized and then other groups that were a little too softer, you know, Goldilocks walking around. What kind of bed do I want? And uh, then eventually I came across GAG and uh, just showed up. It was, I think, late November and just fell in love. This is a terrific group of people. And uh, just decided this is a population for me. Not necessarily being a member, just being a member of the queer community, but then also just the the dedication, the passion, the fun, the str strategy, everything about it. So mm. uh, after that, in January, I went to a Rise and Resist meeting, 
And then somebody had mentioned that they had tickets. They won lots of lottery. They would put their names in a lottery to get tickets to the inauguration. Uh, so the person said at the beginning of the meeting, she said, uh, if you want to cause a disruption at the inauguration, just come up and see me after the meeting. So I was sitting there anticipating the entire time. And as soon as the meeting was over, it was like out of a cartoon. I just <laughs> boom, ran right up to the front. And I said, I'm here. And I knew I was going down to D.C. because of the, uh, the Women's March. And I was walking with Gag. But uh, I went down early, and then the night before, a few activists, really great, experienced activists, which I've learned so much from, uh, got together, and we planned three hours mm-hmm. and uh, at this tavern. And I had no idea about anything. I black magic marker, uh, <laughs> officer, attorney numbers on your mm-hmm. arm. We brought money. We They told us what to say, what not to say. So it was just really interesting. I had never done any mm. civil disobedience. Didn't even know what that word meant or those words, went to the inauguration, hung out for six hours amongst uh, supporters, the president's supporters, and then... Uh, and were you chatting to people in, in the audience? Yes, yes. Huh. So, did so you, were you like stealth? Were you like trying to be like a, like a Trump supporter <laughs> in disguise? Uh, yes, yes, I really had to. And uh, I skipped a step. So then during this three hours, we had all stuck together and we decided that... Uh, the goal was because there were different seats and different sections, and we had whistles, and at a certain moment, which I'll explain in a second, we all were to jump up and do something. It was a coordinated uh, okay. thing. So then afterwards, we had all the tickets, and then we noticed that during the meeting, somebody had left a couple, or maybe it was just divine intervention, uh, that were right up in the front, very, very wow. close to the stage. Right, because there were a lot of empty seats there. Yes, too. yes, there were a lot of empty seats. and uh, Or people dressed in white, so you couldn't really see them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so then the we went and we sat there all the way in the front, and myself and the other activist, uh, who was just fantastic, did a lot of work in uh, ACT UP, and I learned so much from him. And that was one of his pieces of advice is just go ahead, introduce yourself, speak to everybody during those six hours and just make sure that they know that you are normal. You're just mm-hmm. so when the thing when it happens, they're not going to like really hurt, harm you. So the what happened was we were sitting. It was very quiet. And uh, he went up to give the uh, oath, take the oath. And Ju- Justice Roberts says, said, okay, repeat after me. I blah, blah, blah. Uh, so then when that happened, the other activists and myself jumped up out of our seats. Mm. We had these high-powered whistles around our necks, and we pulled out signs from under our shirts and just blew these whistles so loud so that they could just like all of the air out of my body just mm. released. And then I spit the whistle out because I knew they were going to get us any second. And pulled out the signs and started shouting, "Not my president!" And then the Secret Service and the police came and knocked us down and took us out. So that was it. And there's wow. footage of that on YouTube. I guess it's a lot, yes, like some, there is footage. Some supporters of 45 yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> filmed you, yep. and there's outraged comments underneath, like about how disrespectful you are. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you know, it's spot to, on. You've continued <laughs> to be just as disrespectful ever since, though, right? I mean, yeah. But you know what? The one thing I want to mention is that I would recommend people to go back and take a look and listen to that inauguration and listen to him speaking because you will hear those whistles. You will hear right, disruption yeah. in the background. Mm, you so. can hear the kerfuffle. It's very that you, exciting. That, that was created. my first experience of activism. Wow. 
it's a big one. Well, it's <laughs> yeah. We're gonna we're gonna actually um, chat to one of our other members. Um, you mentioned ACT UP there, mm-hmm. um, as did you, John. And of course, that's a real touchstone for so many of us in the queer community, mm. um, like life-saving work that was done and continues to be done. We have um, Ken Kidd is going to be on the line in a couple Fantastic. of minutes. Yeah, who is. Um, calling into the, mm-hmm. Ken is a veteran activist, you know, um, who worked with Queer Nation, ACT UP, was very involved, for example, with the ACT UP uh, protests in Grand Central Station, and many more. Jesse Helms, and the, the yeah. condom over Jesse Helms. So, uh, oh, and yes. though even yeah. even though he is, a, uh, and most of the activists too, they are seasoned, they are veterans, but they bring new angles. It's yeah. not as though it's these same uh, same marches or rallies right. or whatever they look at things in a new different uh, area yeah or yeah. lens so yeah. it's very exciting to yeah, work I, with them i feel in a lot of ways there's a there's a legacy there and there's a history um that is kind of passed on from mm-hmm. generation to generation which is really ex- excellent anyway we have ken on the line now i believe hi ken hello hey it's ken kid how are you ken <laughs> great to hear your voice how's it going <laughs> It's going great with me. I hope you guys are having fun because I'm sure you're doing a fabulous job on there. So far, so good. Ten, Fifteen minutes in air, and we haven't been kicked off yet. So <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You haven't said any of those words you can't say on radio don't or television. Don't look at the sign. Right? Don't look at the no, sign. There's the yeah. giant sign on the wall behind us. So I don't know if you were listening in, but we were we were just kind of talking about how we all kind of personally have come to queer activism. You know, within the context of this sure. show, which is queer activism then and now. Um, and of course, you've got many, many stories to tell, but we'd love to, you know, if you just want to talk about how you became an activist and um, a queer activist specifically, I guess. Well, I think my personal story, and I think I, the only thing I can really talk about is my personal story, is I was born with a big mouth. And, uh, you know, I used to have, even in school and high school and secondary school, whatever, I uh, had a guidance counselor who used to always say to me, don't you ever shut up? And I always heard it wrong because I thought he said, don't you ever shut up. So I sort of <laughs> took that as advice. Um, Encouragement but even. what really got me involved was when I got gay bashed. Um, you know, there's something about having three guys jump you from behind in the course of a random evening when you're just living your life and telling you that you're nothing but a fag and you don't deserve to live and jump up and down on your head and your chest and break your ribs and your teeth and your jaw and put you in the hospital for two weeks with amnesia. Um, I really couldn't understand the hate involved in that, but I felt it literally and physically and viscerally and knew that it wasn't right. And... What also was happening right about that same time uh, was the AIDS epidemic, and suddenly my friends were starting to get sick and die, and uh, I felt helpless, and I felt victimized, and I felt like nobody was doing anything, and that literally if I didn't do something, I couldn't count on anybody else to help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a strange experience to have those things happen, and that, that, that convergence, and you know, I've said this to other people recently. I had come to New York City to be safe. I had come, fled my tiny little town in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia because I didn't fit in there. And so I came to New York City to be safe, and then suddenly I was not safe. I was headed for the epicenter of 
um, the epidemic, the pandemic, the plague. And I also then was, you know, bashed brutally, uh, you know, and my doctors told me six weeks later, eight weeks later, when they were cutting the wires for my jaw, because my jaw had to be wired shut, they said, you know, you almost died. You know, you, you could have been killed. And we didn't want to tell you that at the time. So, you know, again, that does something to a person, and that gives, it empowers a person. Look at the Parkland kids. I, I really identify. I wasn't much older than they were when those tragedies befell them. And I think when you are literally faced with death and mortality and nobody helping you, and you have been a person like the Parkland kids or like me or like my fellow, you know, guys and, you know, to a lesser degree, the women of ACT UP who had been told yes more often than they'd been told no, and then suddenly they were being told no and no and no and no again, you know, you question that and you do something about it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I remember you. You talked. Um, I remember we, we've talked about this in the in the past. But you know, I remember um, we talked about your experience with ACT UP and how you saw a lot of that move on into like the work that queer activist groups are doing now. And and you can also have that lineage that you trace because you were very involved with Queer Nation for many years. Um, yeah, and Queer Nation. You know, Queer Nation is really important to me and to the movement and to our history and. I have to say that I, as we look at the past 50 years, as we look at Stonewall and celebrate the accomplishments, I really hope that people do pay more attention to the role that Queer Nation uh, played. And, you know, the simple fact of the matter is, you know, in, in 1990, when we had our very first Queer Nation meeting in March, I want to say March 23rd or something thereabouts, 29th of 1990, it was a lot of folks who were members of ACT UP, but it was also folks who just were fed up. It was folks from the community who were scared and angry because there was a, a, a we were being barraged with uh, gay bashings, with queer bashings. We were being barraged with anti-HIV violence. People were coming into our neighborhoods to beat up people who they perceived to be either queer or perceived to be sick. Hmm. Um, I also have to really call out, in a large degree, the New York City Gay and Lesbian Anti-Violence Project of that era, and the fact that you know their executive director, Matt Foreman, who is a dear friend of mine, is a true, brave, largely unsung hero, who really was an executive director that was also an activist. This was a time when that agency was organizing the marches and, you know, and bankrolling the early Queer Nation marches, because they saw that direct action is what brings about change. When Julio Rivera was murdered in a schoolyard in Queens, you know, Matt Foreman organized with, you know, really had that community come out as a result of the activism of that organization. And, you know, that really gave them a way to deal with their grief and gave them a way to empower them and gave them a way to join communities like our sort of village, East Village, you know, queer nation, you know, with the, the, the population in Queens at the time. I mean, I can't tell you how, I can't tell you what it was like, mm-hmm. but it, I really hope that people do recall it and, and research it. There was a, there was a five borough march that mm-hmm. was organized with Queer Nation and the Anti-Violence Project 
to talk specifically about the fact that people were coming into our neighborhoods to beat and, you know, try to kill us. It, we did, Queer Nation did a Take Back the Night march in June of 1990 where we had just said enough. And what, even before that, there was a pipe bomb that went off at a very popular uh, gay bar called Uncle Charlie's. Gay, Uncle Charlie's was a tremendously popular place on Greenwich Avenue in the heart of the village. And a pipe bomb exploded. Within 24 hours, we mobilized a march, a rally, a protest that shut down Greenwich Avenue. And, and, and that was the, you know, Queer Nation was born. Hmm. We would target homophobic businesses. Like, the first one was a, a place called Flutie uh, down at the South Street Seaport, and we would go and have kiss-ins. Hmm. We went to the White Horse Tavern. We made flyers, and we stuck them on the, the tables at the White Horse that said, Thursdays are now gay night at the White Horse. And we would leave Queer Nation and go over and basically take over the place. We went to McSorley's. We went to all sorts of places. But yeah. um, before this, again, I, I digress, but I'm sort of re- strolling down memory lane here with you guys. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the, so Uncle Charlie's, the pipe bomb, and then, you know, the... Um, the Take Back the Night March that we organized in June, uh, where we really, truly took the streets over, and there were thousands, tens of thousands of people that were there. It got press in the New York Times, and people have to recall that this was at a time that the New York Times had barely just started using the word gay in their news stories. They would only use it in the headlines with quotation marks. In 1990. Yeah, in 1990. They would only, 1989 was the very first time. And in fact, I was in one of the very first articles talking about my own gay bashing. Um, It was Labor Day weekend. It was one, I remember like my friends saying, wow, they didn't even put quotation marks around you. And they weren't joking. But anyway, so Take Back the Night. And at the Take Back the Night march, folks tried to egg us. Folks tried to beat us up. Folks tried to beat up Michelangelo Signorelli, who was, you know, a queer, um, columnist at the yeah. time well people are still trying to do that to us you know they you sure know are they... and you know and it's so funny because lately i've gotten to be able to talk about my experience like i'm talking to you right now and I, people have asked me questions about when i got gay bashed and the gay bashing that occurred to me in my experience and they'll often try to pinpoint me to give a certain year and i just say it was in the 80s because I feel like if you pinpoint that, or if they try to pinpoint that, it's very easy for the casual listener to say, that was then, this is now, hmm. that doesn't affect me, it's, you know, that was the dark ages, you know, we have, you know, my beloved friend Gilbert Baker's rainbow flag everywhere, and so, you know, we're out and proud. But the reality is that, especially in this particular dark regime that we're facing in Washington, and the spawn of it that's rising up around the world because, you know, he's getting away with it in Washington, you know, anti-LGBTQ violence and hate is on the rise. And you know, the statistics are rising. So that's and, really um, interesting, Ken, because what I was uh, for preparing for this show, I had uh, tried to look at some historical references just to see uh, beyond uh, Stonewall and... Uh, all of the the LGBT the queer community struggle and I came across a timeline and it was online it's called uh, out of the past 400 years of LGBTQ history and it just starts off the first reference they have is 1624 Richard Cornish is executed in Virginia for alleged homosexual acts with a servant 
1624, and it goes all. It's just a fascinating article. It's very easy to read. It's all yeah. just in. It's all in boxes, and it highlights a lot of uh, a lot of um, different accomplishments for activists in the queer community, and also the struggles, similar to some of the things that you had mentioned, that uh, tra- terrible tragedies. Uh, there is one where in 1914, a medical article links women's participation in the suffrage movement with, quote, repressed homosexuality. Wow. Uh, so it's just such a great uh, article, and I highly recommend it. But I think the theme across the board is really that people cared and that when they do care, they really go out and they're ready to act and they're actually ready to do something and join each other and really make a make a stand and uh, look to change things. Mm-hmm. So even though there right. are some parallels from when 1624 happened and there's clearly some... Uh, there are clearly some stigmas and some perceptions that have never changed and probably will never change. It's just the whole idea as far as activism and banding together and caring and no matter what level of skill or knowledge you have, it's just stepping forward and taking that risk, although that's not really the best word, but it's just stepping up. And yeah. I think that's what's really well, important. You know, it, and you know, to add to that, Marilyn, you know, sometimes... Sometimes I don't even know why. I mentioned to somebody this weekend that I was going to get to call into this radio show, and they were like, well, oh, because you're such an activist. And First of all, I'm not such an activist. Uh, I have a big mouth. You know, ask my guidance counselor from high school. But that's, I think, you know, I think activists and to call, to label folks who do what we do as activism is lovely, but it's also, it can be off-putting for the person who I think may be trying to get involved. There's no secret handshake. There's no rule book. There's nothing that suddenly makes you an activist. I think that folks who care, folks who step up, folks who realize that they have a unique voice, folks who are encouraged to know that they have a unique voice, they're activists. They are. They just are. They help to change the world in ways. You know, Harvey Milk, my hero, used to say, you have to come out. You must come out. And I believe that to be so true. You must come out about anything, whether it's your opinion and the fact that you know that gun violence is a public health crisis, or whether you know that women's, women's health is all of our concern and health care is a right whether you know that and you come out and you say that at the Christmas dinner table or whether you say that at your place of bit, that makes you an activist. So, you know, you don't have to necessarily, although we want you to, come to demonstrations. You know, just live your life in a way that you know you have a voice and that you are helping to create change. That. I just cannot emphasize that enough. I, I think that's really um, excellent and that's wise advice. Uh, the other thing is, too, that uh, I really appreciate with uh, Paul and John and yourself and then Kathy, who's going to be up any second, is that we we as activists have to step up and also help encourage other people who are actually at these protests or march or engage with them and kind of have them uh, and make it more of a community and more welcoming. And mm-hmm. that's what I get the sense from all of you guys is just that sense of I can take that opportunity to share some thought or think out of the box or just kind of expand or enhance anything. So um, we're well, going to have Kathy learned. up soon to <laughs> we're going to have Kathy up. So she's going to address her experiences in marriage equality and how uh, how she also led a lot of uh, change and uh, so, inspired yeah. others. So she, she's so too short. So we, we'll we'll probably sign off net for now, Ken. 
Okay. Um, but listen, okay. thanks so much for calling in. And I know Thank you're going to be you. back on air with us it. soon on Radio Gag. Yay. Yep. And um, <laughs> anyway, thank, thank you, you for, for the wonderful that. words. And Thanks, Ken. Thank yep. you, Ken. We'll talk to you later. Love right. you. All right. Bye, darling. Bye. Thanks so much. Great. So, oh, great. Awesome. <laughs> yes, okay, good. <laughs> now we have to do some talking. <laughs> oh, do we? Or do we have someone on the line right now? No, we're we going to do a song. Okay. Kathy, yeah, okay. Let's okay. go get to a musical break, and then we're going to come back with okay, great. marriage equality. And this is... We're singing the song, or the no? I'm kidding. No. Sing a Louise, please. Oh, okay. Take it away. Thank All you. right, thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Love, love will keep us together. Fight for our side, whoever. Curse and cowards are sharp. Warren's a star. I would take Tulsi. She's better by far. Just stop. You know who we're fighting. Stop. We are all uniting. Love will trump hate if we just keep it together. Whatever. You, you can have your favorite. Your four of us will save it. Biden, Booker, Bernie, or Pete. special the the june pride special we hope you're enjoying our show um ken k was on the line with us uh now we have katharina thomas an organizer for gays against guns who will be talking about her experience as a, a long-term activist a veteran activist a supreme activist um Woo-hoo! and uh sort of you know kind of the the successes and struggles um that she has had so is kathy there hey guys how you doing Hi, kathy. kathy welcome <laughs> Good Thank to hear you. your voice. We, we marched in Queen's Pride today, and we created a contingent as we went along. Wonderful. Of course, yes, of course yes. you did. Yes, great, great. Yes, we did, and we have a new chant. It's called, Less Guns, More Dancing. 
Oh, oh I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think we'll be on the news tonight because a lot of people took photos of us dancing in the middle of the street. It should be great. Good time. Good time. Well, um, Kathy, yeah. do you want to talk with us about your role as an activist and sort of your history as an activist um, and, you know, what sure. that has meant for you and the ways in which it's was different maybe at the beginning of your career versus now as well? Well, first of all, my wife has this really uh, interesting way of looking at my activism. Mm. She says that when I'm sitting on the couch watching the news and I start to grip the side of the chair, she knows <laughs> we're about to start a new campaign. <laughs> <laughs> it all started in the early 90s with AIDS and my desire to help in some way. I didn't know anybody with AIDS, but I was feeling the epidemic in our community and I along with many other lesbians at the time we stepped forward and we did things like be an AIDS buddy, be an advocate mm. for people with AIDS, go into the hospital and keep people company and do some you know advocacy at the hospital level where they were ignoring our our, our siblings and you know leaving them uh, basically unsupported so we did some of that work and it was really rewarding I did that for a number of years and then I decided to be a mom, so I had to stop doing that work so that I could become pregnant because, you know, insemination is not as much fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to kind of focus on that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but luckily, that beautiful girl is now 19 years old. She's adorable. Well. I love mm. her so much. Thank you so much. So then we realized that there was a need for us to have more legal protection. Um, and we worked on marriage equality. We worked on marriage equality for 17 years. Ultimately, I became the board president by accident, I assure you. <laughs> but uh, I kept that job for a long time. It was very rewarding. We spoke all over the country on the right to marry. Um, mostly, my favorite people to talk to were our own people who didn't think they needed the right to marry. And my saying was always, mm-hmm. you know, it's very cavalier not to have a right, you, uh, not to want to do something that you can't do anyway. Right. And that won a lot of people over, and they realized that just having the right to marry, not, ma- not meaning marriage is right for everyone, but that you have the right if it's right for you, uh, brought a lot of people on board. And as you know, 2013, Edie Windsor won her case at the Supreme Court level. Yay. 2015, mm-hmm. the Obergefell case won making marriage equality the law of the land. Both of those cases, Plaintiffs for Marriage Equality USA members, I'm happy to say. Um, So there was no need for me to do that work anymore, which was really great. My family thought we were going to take a break and enjoy some leisure time, but unfortunately, a madman, as you all know here, decided to go into the Pulse nightclub and take the lives of 49 of our siblings. My, my wife looked over at me while we were watching the news that day and saw the grip on the side of the couch and knew <laughs> that we were going to get involved. <laughs> so here we are, and I've yeah. been for the last three years organizing with you all in Gays Against Guns, and it's been a really rewarding experience. Thank you. Yes, it has been. Um, could you talk about maybe the ways in which it looks different, the work looks the same and different from either your early work as an AIDS buddy and and or the work with marriage equality versus versus today with gays against guns well sure um sure john that's an interesting question but there are a lot of similarities particularly between aids the aids epidemic and gun violence epidemic it's something that i've been sort of finding a niche in speaking about um 
when we do our Gays Against Guns mm-hmm. work because I think that the similarities are really important to point out. The first and most important similarity is that our federal government ignored both epidemics. Yep. They allowed thousands and thousands of people to die of AIDS before they lifted a finger to help, and they're doing the same with gun violence. There's a, there's a mass shooting every day. What was the statistic? There's 151 days in 2019, and we've had 150 mass shootings. That's correct. And that's just, that has yesterday. nothing to do with yesterday. the Second Amendment right. That has to do with an epidemic and uh, no laws to govern that epidemic. So that's, that's a very important similarity. In the work, I find the same similarity between those two things, AIDS and gun violence, in that we're talking to people who just don't want to get it. Hmm. It's yep. an unbelievable hmm. uh, reality to me that we talk to gun owners about responsible gun ownership. We're not even talking to them about removing their guns, which is something I personally would love to do. But we're trying to take it a little bite at a time, and they don't want to hear it. When our folks were dying of AIDS, they didn't want to hear that this was an epidemic outside of the LGBTQ community that could affect anyone anywhere. They didn't want to hear it then. They were very happy to make it a gay disease and isolate us even further and, and let us die off. That was the goal, I think. Yeah. In gun violence, I think that it's very similar, too. The NRA is so powerful, as the pharmaceutical companies were so powerful with AIDS, that they block the way for sensible legislation. I also think that the same tactics will work in all three of these, AIDS, marriage equality, and gun violence, and that is to bring to the forefront people that have suffered without these, without sensible gun laws, without marriage equality, and without proper medical treatment around AIDS. It works. As soon as we in marriage equality started to bring our families and talk about our families, people started to understand, and I think it'll be mm. the same with gun violence. We just have to keep hitting it. We have to keep it in the right place. That's exactly how we won marriage equality back in my home country of Ireland. You know, people went literally door to door to door and they knocked on their neighbors' houses and across the country and stood there and said, I'm here to ask your permission to get married. Mm. And that just twigged something in people's heads to where they're like, wow, you have to do that. That's not right, you know. That's exactly right. I mean, my daughter, my, I, my daughter is the perfect person to talk to about this because she grew up in the marriage equality movement. And one day somebody said to her, how does it feel to have two moms? And she said, what do you mean, how does it feel? They're my parents. Yeah, <laughs> she'd be right. Yep. That was the right answer. She I, is your daughter. <laughs> I love that story you told me one time, Kathy, about the early days of the marriage equality, where it was basically you and Sheila walking with like four or five placards and having to swap them around and rotate them around because yeah. there were so yeah. few people in the country who even thought that marriage equality for our community was a possibility. And look That's at us exactly now. Exactly right. You know? The same way people exactly say that right. gun violence can't be stopped in the United States. The same way people in my country said that there, there was always going to be troubles between the IRA and the British government and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that has changed, yeah. you know. Yes, it has. But it's changed because of street active, active members, people who keep thinking about this issue and bringing new ways. I think the key to grassroots activism, our job as grassroots activists, are to make people think about the cause we're working on that would not normally think about it, mm-hmm, which is yeah. why we have to do things like march and parades. And today I spent a, two hours yelling statistics 
<laughs> so 11 people were killed because they showed up to work. This many people, uh, you know, mentally ill people can uh, acquire a gun. People don't know this stuff. Yeah. It's our job as grassroots activists to, to make them, them think about it. Yep. And this is a line that you use. I know I've heard it a few times from other people is that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so all That's of these right. little small things that we're doing uh, with regard to gun control or in any of these other immigration, any of these other areas, it's lots of small things and they all add up to these big changes. And that's exactly I think, right. Yeah. And Every even when day, we hit those big changes, we don't stop. We keep going. That's that's exactly right. Yeah. One win doesn't win the cause. Right. Yeah. But actually getting and out is a win after, for us. Yeah. Even after a cause is won legislatively, there's still the public opinion forum to win over. And we still we have in some ways that's even more important than the legislative mm-hmm. wins to make people around you believe in what you're doing, specifically around gun violence, because our language has nothing to do with taking your gun away. But for God's sake, if you're mentally ill, you shouldn't have a gun. It's a lethal weapon. It's obnoxious to think so. Right. <laughs> yeah, Kevin. I don't understand it. Yeah, yeah Kevin Herzogs, he's going to be who we all love. He's going to be on later on, and he's going to talk about how he's persuaded uh, people and gun owners uh, during gun uh, shows that we've all gone to visit. So he has an excellent take as far as how to persuade and how to communicate with people who aren't necessarily our allies or agree with anything we say, but he does find common ground. Mm, yeah. yeah, That's right. All right. Uh, Gays Against Guns is the only gun, gun group, uh, gun violence, protection group ever to actually go to a gun show and challenge these people's thinking process. It's an amazing thing that we do there. Yeah. All right. well, thank you, Kathy. We're going to let you get amazing. back out into the street and continue dancing. Our, and our, our, our dancing statistics of people who are dancing, whatever you prefer. I was, yes, and I, was twir- <laughs> and I was twirling my rainbow parasol. I bet you were. We saw you twirling it yesterday at the rally for Virginia Beach victims. Yeah, yeah and yes. it's a real parasol. Yes. That's not a euphemism. It's yeah, it's a, a real parasol. Yeah. Yeah. It's an actual parasol protects me from the sun because I'm very, I'm very fair and, you know. Yeah. Well, thanks well, so thank much. You so much. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah. Love you so much. Thank you guys Lots for having me on. Yep. Good luck with the rest of the show. Thanks so much. Too. Have a great weekend. Nice. Nice. Uh, All right. Yeah. So I think um, we'll finish up this section. I'd like to talk a little bit about my role as an activist or some of my work as an activist when I was younger uh, with ACT UP and then also um, now working as an organizer for Gays Against Guns with many other incredible people, um, all of whom are sitting in this office and we've heard from today. So a couple of things. Also, I want to talk about the ways in which... um, I interpret the work that was done then, 1989, sort of how it looks the same and actually how it's different today. Um, If you are listening at the beginning of the show, you may have heard that Ken Kidd called in and he talked about, you know, having a big mouth. Um, At the age of 19, when I moved to the city, I didn't have a big mouth. I just knew I'd come out recently and I saw a lot of signs um, about ACT UP, and I, at that time, was reading a fanzine called HX, um, I was also, um, which was a, a listing for events, um, and so ACT UP had had, there was a listing for an ACT UP meeting at Cooper Union on Monday night, um, and I, as a newly out gay man, I felt the, and hearing that people were dying, and also thinking that my time was up, um, I want to an active meeting. I, I joined the group because I wanted to protect myself and fight for myself as well as fight for, for others. Um, I remember sitting in those meetings and being like, 
completely overwhelmed by sort of the A level of intellect and B sort of information that was just being thrown at us, like important information um, every Monday night and sort of the, the breakneck speed at, at which actions were happening. Um, so I, you know, I, within that, that time, fortunately there were these affinity groups um, because the rooms were packed, like hundreds of people were filling into the rooms on Monday nights. Um, and I was able to find a place for myself um, and what, that was because the structure of ACT UP allowed for that. So it was incredibly organized. Uh, I remember being like the first meeting, they, if you were, you know, had no experience with activism, they pulled, you raised your hand, and then you went into a separate room and you were given like, given a packet, um, civil disobedience, welcome to ACT UP packet, which was like 12 pages, and it sort of outlines like civil disobedience, it sort of outlines all these other, the framework for the group, so the mission of the group, and that for me was like very, you know, that was, um, I felt very safe and, and, and cared for as well. And so during actions, there were, again, so this is obviously pre-cell phones, um, but you had to have marshals who were like looking for the numbers of on police badges as a way to kind of maintain safety. Um, there was like arrest support as well, you know, so I started to get involved in that and organize. Um, I felt safe and so I started doing lots of different things. And also at that time too, um, Interestingly enough, too, like the, you know, things like um, New York Queer started to emerge, NYQ, Outwick, Outweek, all these publications of Queer Nation um, emerge as well. And then there was this Pink Panthers group who were roaming the city streets because queer bashing was happening, you know, sort of at an all-time high during during that period. Um, so active, we were obviously combating AIDS, but also homophobia. Then there are all these um, other groups like the Youth Education Lifeline, which was committed to HIV awareness for youth. Um, there was Housing Works, obviously, and I did lots of work with, with Needleworks, too. So that was, for me as a young kid, like really, you know, incredibly empowering um, and dynamic, but I still, you know, I I felt safe sort of being in the large numbers, and I would go to actions, I'd be like, yes, fight back, fight AIDS. It was like, <laughs> fight back, fight AIDS! You know, I had a very kind of, I was still, you know, sort of very, um, I guess very shy or something. I didn't, you know, it wasn't, and then I continued, you know, went to, went to college, et cetera, and I started doing that work at college, and then it wasn't until Pulse that it really kind of had, um, the tragedy had activated something in me that, um, like a history and also a, a, um, a sense of experience that, you know, I, that had gone dormant, um, and I, and so I went, you know, sort of um, committed myself to going to the meeting and sort of and and being a part of of gag because I, um, you know, then at the at nineteen I didn't have the language for this, but I, you know, subsequent to that, now I do that. Like it, activism activates our imagination of what the world can be, um, what it should be, right, um, or rather what it should look like. And so, um, so that was sort of just like a framework kind of for my experience. But I think that. Things that actually happen today are very, very, the way it, the work looks different. So we have social media today, right? We have the virtual activists and activism versus sort of, and as well as the kind of physical body that's engaged in the work. But a lot of our work happens through, through social media too. And so people are responding to that and can, are weighing in and liking and sharing. And so that feels like that there's, you know, a contribution is being made. It's visible, um, but the kind of the ways in which like the bodies are out there, 
can look different too at different times, right? So the ways in which the physical body engages like uh, with with the public, and so I have, I sort of have noticed that difference um, between those two things. Marches are now like sanctioned. So for example, the March for Our Lives, like fantastic events which we attended, um, incredibly successful. But those things are you go through channels now to kind of or you have to go through channels now as opposed to these spontaneous events that happened in 1969 and 1989. So kind of the ways in which um, we activate does look, can look differently um, in some settings. You know, I was really, and also kind of like the levels of disobedience as well, like that practice happens today too, but you know, when I hear Ken talking about, you know, an impromptu action going and like shutting down uh, Grand Central in response to something, you know, that is, you know, with without, fear of anything, you know, it's, that is incredibly inspiring. Um, and I, I think that more of that should happen uh, in, and I'll sort of end soon, but there was a, in time at New York, Victoria Cruz, who was there at the, at Stonewall, um, gives an interview and talks about, you know, the second night and like the ways in which information was shared and like, you know, they went out and they sort of scribbled like on the sidewalk, be at Stonewall tomorrow night, right? So, um, and people, there was no social media campaign. People just showed up, right? With, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The riot is the party with bricks, really, isn't it? And I think a lot of what you were saying too is just fascinating because you mentioned so many different groups and so many different organizations that there is that, and this word gets bounced around a lot as far as intersectionality, and we're going to address that right now as far, and with uh, Reclaim Pride and all of the coalition building that had happened about that. But real quickly, I wanted to mention that we're always talking about activism and then all these civil disobedience and, and these other actions. But, you know, as far as being an activist, it means just bringing your knowledge and your skill set up front. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you are somebody who's great with social media, if you're somebody that's great with PR, if you're somebody that's great with artistic uh, capabilities, graphic design, all of those skills are needed yeah. and necessary. I'll even say if you're great with finance, if you're a great mm-hmm. accountant, yep. oh my goodness, all of these organizations need that assistance. So whatever your skill set, your knowledge is, step in and we, you know, everybody will just welcome you with open arms because these are areas that we do not know very well. You don't yeah. a lot need of people. a special skill as well at the same, you know, right. like I think a lot of the times people are like, oh, well, you know, I don't know enough about the issue. I don't know enough about the history. I don't know enough about the science. I don't know enough about like mm-hmm. when I started working with Gays Against Guns, I knew very little about exactly. the ins yep. and outs of the legalities of gun violence prevention. And I, th- I think a lot of us didn't, yeah. you know, but I we didn't. educated yeah. each other. Exactly. You know, I still don't. Learned. There's a lot. ACT UP yep. was the same, you know, how, how to get drugs passed, past mm-hmm. the yeah. FDA. People went out and they learned yeah. right. science, you know. We teach each other. That's part and of research. It. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We should. We have joining us now in the studio, Mr. J. W. Walker. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Who are also you? Better Spencer now you're Jones here. Member, oh, Rise and Resist <laughs> member, and key player in the Queer Liberation March this Just year. Key yes, player. Indeed. Dot. 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 Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful queen that you are. <laughs> um, Welcome, Jay. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Thank you. It is my pleasure. I finally get to be on Radio Gag. I know. Radio Always working on a Tuesday on evening. On a Tuesday when we have night. Show. I work in Newark, so like getting to Brooklyn from Newark. Should we move the show? To Newark? Yes. To Newark. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like you, you, you just came and joined us there. You know, we were starting to talk about, you know, these the kind of different 
I guess, intersectional issues that, you know, mm-hmm. I remember right after the Trump election, we were talking about how that was kind of the end of siloed issues for people, you know, of siloed activism. You know, we all now needed to engage with everything. And there was actually a crisis point for Gays Against Guns as well, because we were like, do we continue to be a single issue group or do we expand out and talk? work against everything, you know, because we were under attack in so many different areas, you know. So um, I guess some of the some of that is really being addressed in the Queer Liberation March. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I used to make a joke years ago um, before all of this that, you know, the only way that we're going to have world peace is if the aliens start to attack us. Like, that's the only thing that would actually yes. make all the different countries and all the different groups and all the different religions mm-hmm. finally get over their BS and mm-hmm. come together against a common enemy. Donald Trump was essentially the alien invasion <laughs> of the United States of America. Um, you know, all of these groups that had no knowledge about each other, um, perhaps supported each other um, spiritually or emotionally, you know, with, you know, internally, um, you know, we're finally sort of put into the same room. Mm -hmm. We all had this common enemy. We're all under threat. And, um, you know, speaking about educating ourselves, we were able to educate ourselves about all of these other issues that maybe we'd had some tangential connection to, but we, you know, we were, we were in the room with these folks and we were stepping back and listening to their stories. I learned more about disability issues yes. than I ever had before from magnificent folks like Jennifer Bartlett and, um, you know, and as a as a cisgender gay male, I learned more about women's issues, more about sort of abortion issues and women's health generally, and you know those sort of global dynamics of, about all of these sorts of things. And um, so, you know, with that in mind, um, all of these groups that were doing all of this, you know, activism, often supporting each other, we reached out to the Heritage of Pride March for the 2017 um, uh, parade. Uh, and asked for a resistance contingent. And Heritage of Pride was, you know, was very open to it. And they allowed us to have a resistance contingent with really no limitations. The contingent was in the first section of the march. So uh, just like Gays Against Guns had been in the first section of the march our first year, because Corey Johnson opened his contingent to us Mm -hmm. because we happened so late that we couldn't really register for, for the 2016 parade. Um, but, uh, so Heritage Pride was very welcoming and, uh, you know, all of these different groups focusing on all these different issues related to the resistance and related to resisting, um, Donald Trump and also just sort of being lots of just sort of queer activist groups that had been together for, for years and years that were focusing on all sorts of different things and HIV AIDS groups, et cetera. We all just sort of banded together and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and then for the 2018 march, um, HOP reached out to us and asked, "Hey, would you, you know, do you want to do another resistance uh, contingent?" And we said, "Absolutely." And then we had radio silence, mm. and so that sort of outreach from HOP had come in. I want to say January. Um, we said yes, and uh, then for two months we had radio silence, and then suddenly HOP came back and said. Okay, so you can't have a resistance contingent. You can't all march together. Um, we want um, uh, floats to separate each one of your groups. And oh, and the march route is going to end in Koreatown. 
Um, and uh, everybody, every contingent in the march is going to be limited to 200 people. And you're going to have to wear wristbands to oh, right, be clear yeah. that so that we will know that the right people um, were in each contingent. And, you know, and this was, it, it just became too much. We, we pushed back a lot. We were able to get our resistance contingent. Of course, even though Donald Trump is this existential threat to everything that queer that that queer mm -hmm. lot you know uh, gay pride marches LGBTQ pride <laughs> events are um, the uh, HOP uh, uh, the HOP parade uh, put us way in the back. We didn't end up stepping off until five o'clock, yes. as I recall. Right? I so, we were supposed yeah. to step off around three, three thirty, and we stepped off at five. So you know, we ended the march in darkness with no crowds, mm. etc. So it was really, really dispiriting, um, and so. You know, after that experience and knowing that Stonewall 50 um, was coming for the next Pride Month, Stonewall 50, we're here. Yay! Uh, okay. yay, yay honor our ancestors. Um, you know, the, the group of, of activist groups that had formed the resistance, um, you know, tried to negotiate with the um, powers that be at HOP to really understand how important it was to sort of center this sort of activism in this year, um, you know, in uh, you know, in, in as a way to honor the the Stonewall Uprising, to honor the GLF and all of the other early queer activist groups that came out of that mm -hmm. Stonewall period, and those from before, you know, the Mattachines, the Daughters of Belitis, you know, all of that, um, and. Uh, we just got a big no from HOP. Yeah. Um, and so we were like, okay, fine. You want to have your parade, you want to have a party, you want to have your floats, that's great. We're going to go back to the original Christopher Street Liberation Day at, from 1970, one year after Stonewall, and formulate our Queer Liberation March. That would be no floats, no uniformed police officers marching and making things uncomfortable for many activists of color, many activists who are undocumented, perhaps, mm -hmm. um, people who have simply been on the receiving end of, of brutality from the police. So we said no police marching. We want no corporate involvement whatsoever, no corporate sponsors, no corporate floats. Um, and um, really, really importantly, None of this barricading the entirety of the march route so that people who are on the sidelines don't feel that they can join or, or simply are barred from joining. When I started going to, 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 pride, uh, to pride marches in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, um, you know, you could still just jump off the sidewalk when a contingent was going by and join with them and march with them. Absolutely, and it yeah. was empowering. And you, yes. would, you know, I remember marching behind Greg Louganis's float with him shaking his little Toshina Speedo. It was fantastic. <laughs> I, just, I have to give you strong kudos for that because now there aren't any barricades and the negotiation that went through for, is just fascinating. I'd love to talk to you about that, the way you guys were able to really uh, accomplish that is fantastic. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I think a big part of what this conversation is about, as well as about allies, and we have on mm -hmm. the phone now um, Sarah Lilly, who is a regular host here on Radio Gag, mm. and also a Gays Against Guns member. Are Hello, you? Sarah. Hi. Yes. 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 Sarah. <laughs> There's always that moment where you're not sure if it's going to work or not, right? <laughs> 
yeah. Sean's looking at us. He's really right, We're in good hands. There's no shade on you. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a great job. How you doing, Sarah? Uh, just great. Just great. I'm uh, in Red Hook right now at the uh, BWAC show, and I'm going to see some cabaret. Wow. In a minute, mm-hmm. and Excellent. see some uh, um, some readings of some work. But uh, I'm so excited about this show. I've been listening in, and everybody, the activists are so inspiring. Mm-hmm. And I really just feel like, you know, when I wake up with my little pity party going on about how everything's falling apart, you people are what, you know, Better than my coffee most days Aww. for getting me going. She's talking about yeah. me. That's what she means. That was specifically directed to Mary Ellen. It was right? me, all me. <laughs> uh, you Absolutely. know what, Sarah, just for one second, can you, for Paul, can you just basically like, summarize your, your description of a radical empathy? Because I think that's also okay. in line with uh, allies, and that's why we have uh, Sarah on as well. So yeah. it was so beautiful the yeah. way you said Look, this. This is something that we, Mary and I, uh, we were at the, the rally yesterday all together for the victims at Virginia Beach mm-hmm. and afterwards Mary Allen and I were sitting around talking about what we were going to talk about on the show and I was sharing with her um, something a friend of mine in Ireland said the last time I was back in Dublin I was telling her about Gays Against Guns work and and she was saying what she found particularly um, inspiring was what she described as radical empathy where where you are kind of stepping out of your own identity politics to really just address things that are affecting other people that are no, not necessarily affecting you directly. You know, you're not just caring mm-hmm. about yourself and your own wheelhouse and your own like LGBTQ issue or whatever it might be, but you are caring about other people and you're using what you know, what you've learned, your life lessons and your own history of an activi- as an activist or as a teacher or as whatever it might be to try and stop things happening to other people that you can see are, are awful, you know. So, And I think that's what we talk about a lot on Radio Gag as well. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit, Sarah, just like how you ended up working sure. with Gays Against Guns and working on the radio show and, and so yeah. on. Like what? Well, I told John yesterday best thing that I did uh, before I came to the rally was that I actually cried about the um, victims in um, Virginia Beach. And I, you know, that was a complete turnaround from when I had first heard, again, like other people, it's a number, uh, you want to divorce yourself from the reality, but it's so easy to do. A much harder thing is to have that kind of empathy and to realize that these are human beings whose lives are affected, and this is a community also. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is the source of my radical empathy is um, my community. Um, my kids went to a co-op preschool. Um, they're friends, families, to moms, to dads. And, you know, I realized my privilege being able to be married even though, as a feminist, I have disagreements with the patriarchy and with marriage. But I still have that protection and that option if I wanted it at that time. And here I saw these wonderful families who I loved so dearly uh, that couldn't be afforded the same civil rights. It sucks. And it sucks to the point where you say, no, I, I have to show up. I have to show up. You know, and unfortunately, it does not stop. There's just opportunity opening up all around us. Yeah. 
I mean, not just with, uh, you know, obviously with gun violence, the epidemic levels with over 40,000 dead every year in this country now. Also, the, the just brutal attacks we're seeing against women's rights in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going back to yes. fight fights that, you know, 50 years ago we thought were done and dusted. Yep. You know, it's just... Yes, yes, I know. I, I asked my daughter yesterday, I think, you know, well, what are your friends saying now that, that we have these... Uh, stop uh, abortion bans, these these um, reproductive rights bans, infringements. And she just looked down and she just said, you know, basically her expression said it, it sucks and we can't even talk about it, you know, but we got to keep talking about it. Yeah. We got to yeah. get, keep getting out there. We got to talk about our experiences. And that's something that I'm learning from you guys because I am one of those people who, uh, you know, like my leadership style is accommodating and waiting for the right opportunity and that I step in. And, you know, I probably learned this from being a good girl and all the other misogynist lessons that I shouldn't have learned. <laughs> but <laughs> you're going to wait forever. You know, yeah. you yeah. have to confront conflict. That's uh, what you I completely agree with you, Sarah, that that's uh, interesting when you said that as far as uh, leadership and being in an environment, uh, the one thing that I really enjoy as far as being in this community, as far as activism is concerned, is that it's really a flat uh, organization or they're flatter organizations as opposed to when you or most people are in offices where there's this structured hierarchy where the senior leadership is here and then the flow chart goes down to the next level and then that's where all the silos take place and some organizations really do really well with that and they make it work and then but with this activist community and the groups that I've been participating in it's really flat or flatter where everybody pretty much steps up and steps back and it's this beautiful dance that uh, we invite allies to come in and really support each other and communicate and give contributions. And then also over time, well, it could be an hour, it could be years, where we just recognize the person's talent and this particular person is a really good leader in this particular area or, or then I feel comfortable in saying, you know what? I'm going to just take a step back and I'm going to attend this march. I'm going, whatever you need me to do, I will do it. But then it's also the flexibility to step up and do it, take the lead on something else. Like with the radio show, we all have different topics we're really vested in and interested in. And and you've done so many great uh, shows as well for with us. So that's just, when you were talking about being a leader, I think we all are. And it's just coming back to the idea that we all care. And can be leaders. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. And, yep. and can I say something else about Gag's leadership style? You guys run the best meeting that I've ever been in. Oh, and it's as, the a, candy, as a isn't teacher, it? part of the Department <laughs> the of Ed, Sarah. as a church committee person, I ha- am sick to death of meetings. But I love going to the Gag meetings. They never run over. Things get nice. done at every single meeting. At every single meeting, I'm moved, I laugh, and I get candy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the full roller coaster experience of you know the crying or the laughing and and the friendships that are mm-hmm. being built. Yeah, um, yeah. For people who are listening in, whoever want to join up or come along, there's you know gaysagainstguns.net. We have a ton of information about the group um, on there. You can always check. Our it next out. meeting is this Thursday right. in the center. And they're different seven chapters. to nine p.m. June 
6th. Yeah. yeah. And many yeah. of the shows actually that you've produced and hosted, Sarah, are, are available on, on podcasts. You know, the, if you look up oh, yeah. podcast Gays so, Against Guns show, you know, you'll find all our past shows. They're pretty nicely, neatly organized. Thanks to our wonderful Loretta, who is our, our podcast maven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Great. Well, listen, Sarah, thank you so, so much for joining us on the show. We love you, Sarah. (laughs) Love you, too. All right. See you Thursday. Take care. Thanks so much. Okay. So, Paul, from the article you gave me yesterday, this was from The Guardian, and it's it's by Rebecca Solnit, and every protest shifts the world's balance. And Mm -hmm. it's just fantastic. I'm so glad that you uh, brought it to my attention. I'm going to massacre these three Spanish words, but it's todos somos lideres, and we are all leaders. And it's contained, I'm, I'm not going to have time to uh, give it its credit, but basically it's insisting that power is everywhere and yeah. with everyone can exercise it as they do. So that's basically just when Sarah was talking really came back to me. You know, that's actually an important point. Like power, ha- having actually recognizing that power is fluid. So I think that we can feel overwhelmed or immobilized by power structures, i.e. the government, whether um, other forces, the patriarchy, uh, et cetera, class power structures, um, race power structures. And so therefore, we kind of give over our power to them and say this is the way it is. This is gun violence is going to exist because it uh, behooves people, it behooves the NRA, it behooves gun manufacturers, it behooves NRA politicians, it behooves uh, corporate interests as well, right? But that the reality is that because power is fluid, because we actually have to f- claim our power, take it back, and then also you know challenge larger power structures, and that's how we get somewhere, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I I love this, and I think that this work is we're seeing this being played out more and more as a result of, you know, the election and groups emerging together, claiming their power. Are we moving to a song now? I just saw like a... <laughs> We've all been talking for a long okay. time. Let's give the listeners some. All right. Please. Are yeah. we singing this song? No. 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 Sean, you love my singing voice. <laughs>
We are family. We are family. Oh, we're on, we're on, we're on. <laughs> uh, who are those people? Those fantastic singers. Tell us. I'll tell you. They're, they are the sister uh, quartet of uh, Gays Against Guns. Sing Out Louise, S-O-L. And uh, Mark Leidorf and Alyssa Stein mm-hmm. are two of the prominent members who really write the parody songs, who just do everything about it. Lots of glitter, lots of glam, lots of pink, and uh, are fantastic. So uh, if you are ever around uh, any of the areas in Columbus Circle or anywhere else like that. There's lots of songs, lots of fun. Jay, I heard your voice a lot in that song. Yeah, when I was listening. <laughs> <laughs> So highly recommend. Uh, I don't know their website offhand right now. Facebook page. The Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. Sing Out Louise NYC. If you look that up, there's a picture of a big mouth. Oh, yes, sing yes. Sing Louise in the middle. That's the, the one to go to. kind of our, the theme for our show today. <laughs> 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 but but they're, actually, they're actually their own uh, group. They did yes. start, uh, you know, under sort of the the gag umbrella, but like sort of emerged be like their own activist group as well. They get the party started. Saul sure mm-hmm. gets the party started, which is what you need. Has, this work is tough, but it you know can be fun too. Totally. Oh, yes. What I love about Sing at Louise is when you, I mean, they're just such a great a- a- example of creative activism. You know, when they're they're taking songs that everybody knows, mm-hmm. rewriting these totally irreverent political mm-hmm. words. I mean, we we have to play the like the PG rated versions <laughs> on air, but some of them are some of them are nasty. The vulgar. And the vulgar. you know, people stop in their tracks oh, they and they yeah. join they really in. Yeah. They hand they take the hymnals that people are handing out and they'll sing along and, and they laugh. They Lots laugh. of laughter. And it is just mm-hmm. like sometimes that's just what people need on their way home. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's and the hymnals people. circulate like all over. I've had people yep. say that, you know, Someone printed out a bunch of, of Sing Out Louise hymnals for some action in New Jersey that, like, Sing Out Louise was not involved <laughs> in at all, but yeah. we make it everything public so that we can encourage people to yeah. do it everywhere. <laughs> Speaking of New Jersey, I think we have Kevin Herzog on the line. Oh, my name is Tilda Swinton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> Tilda, I didn't know you were from New Jersey. Oh. <laughs> Good afternoon. Hello, darlings. Mother. So just as an introduction to our listeners, Kevin is one of the co-founders of Gays Against Guns and is talking to us on the telephone. Can I just interrupt for one second? Now, the first Gays Against Guns meeting that I was talking about earlier that I went to, uh, I just started chit-chatting away, adding my two cents, and I didn't care if anybody caught or listened to it. But after it was all done, Kevin, you were fantastic. You were ho- you were hosting. You were actually facilitating the meeting, and you made a point to come right up to me and just really be thoroughly engaged with whatever the hell I was saying. I don't even know if it was made any sense like I'm doing right now. But <laughs> you were just so welcoming, and I'll never forget that. And uh, that's the spirit that I'm trying to convey to all everybody listening is that just really you know do what kevin does be like kevin what would kevin do <laughs> that's well, good leadership kevin yeah. kevin, <laughs> kevin would go up to whoever had the most candy and really <laughs> oh now i remember <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure that's how that went down well we learned that lesson the hard way right i mean we you know when we first started as a group pulse had just happened and everybody was horrified and we had hundreds and hundreds of people at the meetings and and we just, I guess, I mean, I can't speak for anybody else, but I just assumed, oh, this is an issue that everybody feels really passionately about, and 
you know, this will be our group going forward forever and ever. Amen. And it, that's not the case. There's attrition. There's exhaustion. There's burnout. Mm-hmm. There's disillusionment. And there's other crises that happen because we, you know, we formed in June and the election happened Five in later. November. And so after the election, obviously, you know, everybody's world completely spun around. Mm-hmm. But we stuck to but we stuck to the GVP work we're doing. I mean, I, I guess with GAG, I feel we're, we're fighting also transphobia, homophobia, gun violence, political corruption, mm-hmm. racism. Yep. I mean, it Domestic kind of goes. Abuse. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I think I mean, that that was the, a real lesson for us, wasn't it? That 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 gun violence actually touches all those issues, touches all those areas. And the, and also the thing that I've been saying lately, which is you know, I feel like. I don't know why I didn't think of it earlier, but the civil rights that mean so much to all of us, and and rightly so, mean nothing to a corpse. Yeah, mm. and well, that's, that's the ultimate yeah. cause for me. You know, the fact that even if I disagree with you, even if you're a Trump supporter or you know someone who I think is absolutely politically wrong, I still don't think that you should die from a gunshot it just doesn't make any sense to me whether that is a gun that you owned and that you used to kill yourself or or you found in your uncle's house and used it to kill yourself or whether you were a victim of a shooting you know it just like is so basic to me that the 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 fact that a law can happen that would make more people not die and the law hasn't happened like i just don't it still blows my mind right yeah so one of the things one of the actions that i love you for organizing and and thinking about were the gun shows and visiting the gun shows can you explain a little bit about that and how you use it to persuade people because it's really confrontational but and there was one gentleman that said he doesn't agree with us but he supports our right to actually be there yeah, that was the first gun show that we went to. So the idea was born early on. Like I said, we had hundreds of people coming to the meetings, and we had subcommittees, and, and we had a lot of interest and a lot of enthusiasm. And because all of us shared this feeling that our community had been attacked, I think it made us very um, – uh, sort of confrontational in a way. Like, we, we had the idea originally to go to gun shows and protest and hold up signs and yell at people and sort of try to shame them about what they were doing. And we had the elections coming. Like, we had all this stuff happening. We had the elections, and then after the elections, we sort of were dealing with the ramifications of that, and then it was winter, and then it was summer again. And the idea of going to gun shows came up again, and and I don't even know how many people I've told this, but I had seen an HBO documentary, and I have to find out what the name of it is, about abortion. And it was a very even-handed documentary, and it, it there was no voiceover or narration. It was just the filmmaker following uh, different people, and one of them was a woman who is a staunch pro-life activist who had had an abortion and regretted it. And another was a woman that worked in an abortion clinic and others were women that were considering having abortions. Other were 
were women that had abortions. And it just showed you everyone from every aspect. And the woman that was the pro-life advocate used her really charming personality to try to convince women to not have abortions. And I thought, this is a, a very effective method. I watched it in the documentary have a positive effect. She got the effect that she wanted. People reconsidered their positions. And I thought, how interesting. You know, she's, she's sweet and she's nice and, she's, and she acts as though she has your best interests at heart. And that's I, the sort of energy that I realized we could take to the gun shows rather than come in and tell them what you're doing is wrong. And I liken it when I, when I sort of am pitching for people to come with us to gun shows, I liken it to the Westboro Baptist Church or some crazy religious community <laughs> coming to a gay bar and saying, you shouldn't be gay. Right, that's really going to work. That same Oopsie. group, they could come, <laughs> come to a gay bar and say, here's information about PrEP, and we want everybody to know. Here's information about health care, that you could access health care in your community. And people would take the, the information, even if it was coming from a source that they disagreed with ideologically. And so that's where I realized our in could be. We could go to the gun shows as ourselves. We didn't have to disguise ourselves. We're, we're anti-gun people at the gun show, but we can give them information that might show them a perspective that they don't get. Because if you watch Fox News and you watch NRA TV, Ew. you're not going to get our perspective. Mm -hmm. So if we don't bring it to you, how do you get it? You don't, yeah. Well, and it was chiefly the kind of perspective about how they how in, gun owners are endangering their lives by being gun owners in many ways. How a woman who is in a home with a mm -hmm. gun has a far higher likelihood of being killed in a domestic violence dispute. So we were actually speaking to them in the context of their lives, yeah. and that's, you know, and not in an attacking way, but in an informational yeah. and in a caring way, really. Um, and I think that that really yeah. re hit people really, really mm -hmm. hard. It sort of. Like a harm reduction outreach yeah, harm reduction. initiative. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. the same happened during the during the AIDS crisis. It wasn't really until people started seeing photographs of families nursing their mm -hmm. dying sons mm -hmm. that the general public, in a sense, started to kind of cop on and realize, oh, yeah, this could be humanized. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. But um, right. we're going to start to wrap it up, Kevin. So we're going to let you go. But I know you're going to be back on well, air. Because I'm filming. Yeah, I'm filming. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you never stop filming well, and collecting the awards. Avengers, Tilda, you just, are fantastically He's just holding Avengers. the camera to himself. That's what he's doing. <laughs> it's called a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> it's called I Am Not Love. <laughs> well, I know you're back on air on Tuesday at 6.30. So you look can't keep me off, honey. No. <laughs> Have a wonderful <laughs> evening. Bye, Kevin. Bye. 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 Um, so we have another few more minutes. Yeah. Jay, um, would you be able to just give us a little bit more on the Reclaim Prize before we sign off? And absolutely, tell absolutely. Us what's going to be happening? Um, so First of all, I love your shirt. Oh, thank so. you. I'm wearing the, my official My Pride is Political Reclaim Pride Queer Liberation love March T-shirt. Available online. You can see it <laughs> on the Reclaim. Po 
ReclaimPrideNYC website. That's ReclaimPrideNYC.org. What's the URL again? ReclaimPrideNYC.org. <laughs> okay, I'm writing it down. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and so if folks, you know, we, we need volunteers um, to, to help out. There are ways to sign up to volunteer on our website. Um, uh, the Queer Liberation March is taking place on June 30th, Stonewall 50 Woo-hoo. Sunday. Um, we step off from Sheridan Square right in front of the Stonewall at 9.30 a.m. So people can just arrive at 9 o'clock time after 9. And you're marching so up 6th Avenue. We're right? marching up 6th Avenue where we're recreating the original Christopher Street Liberation Day March from 1970. So we march up. Up Sixth Avenue to Central Park, and then we continue on to the Great Lawn, where we're having a wonderful rally. Um, folks like Stacy and Chen, Edafio Poro, um, Masha Gessen have all signed on to to speak. Uh, Kevin Aviance is performing. Um, it's going to be a really, really spectacular Vivian, and very yeah. political Bond. march Bond. and rally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Justin Vivian Bond. Oh, yes, yes, queen. Yeah. yeah, sounds great. <laughs> and Taylor <laughs> Mac as well. Taylor, Taylor Mac. Mac is going to be Karen Mitchell. Yeah. Sing Out Louise is going to have a piece uh, at some point during the March during wow. the March procession. Uh, and we're still signing on more people. It's yeah. going to be so, so much fun. And folks should know that Gag will be marching at both the Queer Liberation March as well as at the Hop March. Yeah. So know that. Because we're very versatile. We're a very versatile in that way. Yeah, we Top love everybody. Whores. Any excuse to put ourselves out on the streets. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this has been a really interesting. I has mean, it been very. Ninety minutes. Oh, it's almost Already? ninety minutes. Yeah, no. but like, like a really personal yeah. dive for a lot of us, actually. Love it. Mm-hmm. You know, which has been really, really great. It's been wonderful to kind of. Uh, Gilbert Burt's. It's Gilbert. oh Gilbert's birthday. You got yeah. something to oh, say, Mary Ellen? I got it. Yes. I got it in there. <laughs> happy yes, birthday, happy Gilbert birthday. Baker. Rest, Rest in power. power. Yes. 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 Creator Baker. of the rainbow flag, yeah. Gilbert Baker, yeah. uh, whose autobiography um, is just coming out. And there is going to be, it's called Rainbow Warrior. Yeah. And it's just come out, um, uh, really effective, like now, today, his birthday. And um, there will be a reading uh, uh, from it at The Strand on uh, Tuesday, June 4th at... 7 p.m. at the Strand Bookstore and you're on reading Broadway. I will be one uh, of the readers. It was on earlier today. So reading as well. Um, no, she's yeah. not reading at that one. I think she's reading we're at the, the subsequent one at the Stonewall. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we look right. forward cool. to that. So we'll, we're going to sign out with a little tune. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Sean, our engineer, for Thank enjoying you, us for the last 19 minutes. You're the best. Happy Pride <laughs> Month to all listeners. Yes, and we look forward to seeing you all out on the streets. Yes. Yes. Hi guys, I really love you. Uh, love you all. Love you too. Yeah. Thanks, folks. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.